Welcome to the wicket. Welcome to The Wicket, the weekly podcast from Arab News with all things cricket from the Gulf region, Asia and everywhere beyond. I'm Brian Murgatroyd and as usual, I'm joined by Arab News columnist John Pike and Arab News reporter Sebash Hummergain. And we've got masses to chat about this time around. We'll wrap up the ICC Cricket World Cup, reviewing the final in which Australia beat India to claim their sixth men's title. And we'll also reflect on the tournament as a whole. Pakistan's failings in the World Cup have prompted major changes there, which continue to unfold. And we'll unpack them for you. We'll speak about the ongoing situation in Sri Lanka, which has been suspended by the ICC following allegations of political interference in the administration of the sport there. A clock is to be introduced in white ball international cricket to try and speed up play. We'll discuss that innovation. And although it's just a matter of days since the World Cup final, it's time for more live cricket. Australia is all set to go head to head with India again. This time in five 2020 internationals, we'll look ahead to them. Then there's the the Men's Africa 2020 World Cup qualifier all set to get underway in Windhoek in Namibia. And we'll look ahead to that. And John will tell us all about his trip to Riyadh for the finals of the Saudi National Cricket Championship as we put the microscope on the rapid development of the sport in the kingdom. So plenty to get our teeth into. And let's get started with the ICC Cricket World Cup. Australia won that sixth title with what in the end turned out to be a comprehensive win against India in Ahmedabad. Pat Cummins won the toss, put India into bat and restricted the hosts to 240 all out before Australia recovered from 47 for three to knock off the runs with six wickets and seven overs in hand, largely due to the brilliance of Travis Head and Manus Labashain who added 192 for the fourth wicket. Travis Head became only the seventh player and the third Australian to score 100 in a men's Cricket World Cup final as he powered his way to 137 from 120 balls, while Labuschagne was content to play second fiddle with an unbeaten 58. It was an incredible performance by Australia up against an India side that had played 10 and won 10 in the tournament prior to the match, And it was a triumph for Captain Pat Cummins, who got just about every call right on the day and succeeded in doing what he set out to do, which was to silence the massive crowd estimated in excess of 90,000. John, it all started at the toss when Pat Cummins won it and put in India into bat. You were very surprised, I think, at that decision at the time. But with the benefit of hindsight, can you see the sense in the move now? Well, I wasn't alone in being stunned. Uh, I think most of the commentators were also stunned. It was brave. It was bold. It was risky. Some uh, at the time thought it rash, including myself. My Australian friends tell me they prefer it when Pat Cummins loses the toss uh, rather than wins it. And I think what we've learnt uh, in this uh, this tournament, but also I think during the Ashes series, uh, you have to read Cummins' comments between the lines. Externally, it seems that he wasn't taken very seriously when appointed. Uh, and beneath those sort of boyish looks lies cold steel. I think also we, the decision, it's not just his decision. It's been taken in unison. 
Uh, if you're going to make a decision like that in a, in a World Cup final, play in the host nation, everybody has to buy into it. And it looks like from the feeling and the bowling that, um, that the team did. So Cummins said they kicked it around. Decision, that is, for sure, they must have analysed it pretty extensively in the, the management team. Clearly some very astute analysts. I should think there are not many people who can actually name the Australian coach. So there's a lot gone under the radar. And it worked, but it was high risk. The bowlers turned up on the day. The best performance collectively, I think, as a unit in the tournament. And, of course, India would have battered uh, anyway, I think, if they'd won the toss. So um, uh, it's turned out, it turned out to be a very astute decision. But you know, it could have gone horribly wrong. I guess it could have gone uh, horribly wrong. I have to say, when the coin came down and Pat Cummins called correctly and put India into bat, I was actually thinking it was a very good decision because I couldn't see a situation where Australia would score enough runs to put that uh, stellar India batting lineup under pressure in the second inning. So I think there was an element of uh, defence, if you like, in that decision. But Sebash, India slipped to 81 for three just after the power play before a slow rebuild under Virat Kohli and KL Rahul. They added 67 in 18 overs. There were only two fours, in fact, in the innings between overs 11 and 40. Could or should they have been more proactive or is there more to it than that you know, with the pitch? The length of the India tail, which we saw was considerable in this match, the pressure of a final, the quality of Australia's bowling and fielding, they're all factors to consider as well. But 67 in 18 overs in modern one-day international cricket, that's slow going. Yeah, it was indeed a very slow uh, rebuild from uh, Kohli and Rahul. I think they became even more defensive than that what was needed. I think one had to keep the scoreboard ticking like we saw in the second innings. I think Travis Head just continued what he started and Maran Slavosin was just staying up. And I think Kohli should have taken the role from Rohit Sarma once he went away because uh, you need runs in final. You can't expect uh, ballers to defend uh, 240 or runs in the final. And I think... Uh, it was more fear of that uh, India's lower order has not been tested. And I think uh, uh, Kohli and Rahul, I think throughout the tournament, they've been superb with their role. Kohli especially, he was top run getter. And I think they they believed that they will get required runs in last 10 overs. But unfortunately, we get kept kept falling after that. And uh, I think Surya Kumar Yadav should be distraught that he could not add up anything because uh, I think they counted on Suri and Ravindra that is out of fire once the wicket was saved for last 10 overs and uh, I think uh, Pat Cummins deserves a huge round of applause for what he did. I think uh, changing the ballers. He, uh, we talked about the fifth baller being absent in the Australian lineup but we it never came that I think uh, Kohli and Rahul never rested because uh, they were focused on saving the wickets and they did not try any big shots throughout that middle overs. And Australia had them in their hands. And we should also focus on Australia's fielding, especially after the first two games. They dropped, I think, 50% of the catch they had chances of. But after that, it was tremendous effort from the fielders in South Africa game. And they just continued it in the second game as well, in the final as well. So I think India have themselves to blame, especially... Raul and Kohli, I think they were more defensive than they should have been. John, what about Pat Cummins' captaincy? At one stage, I think there were eight bowling changes in 11 overs from overs 16 to 26. He was superb, wasn't he? I would think that's probably his finest hour. As I mentioned before, uh, to do what he did, you need buy-in from uh, everybody in the team. 
bowlers want to bowl unless they're being smashed around the, uh, the park. I guess the plan was not to allow the Indians to become too accustomed to one bowler, so they didn't actually get a chance to take anybody on. And uh, I think as Subhash mentioned, I mean, it's extraordinary that after the power play, um, there's something like 25 or so overs. So I think there's only one four. So Cummins read the pitch well, um, had unorthodox field placings, uh, and it all worked um, perfectly. Subhash, when India posted that 240 in the end and then reduced Australia to 47 for three, did you think India had enough runs? 240 in a final is never enough. I think uh, it was the same case in 2011 as well. We saw uh, Sri Lanka uh, going down against India. And uh, even Pat Cummins said uh, after the game that they were expecting anything around 300. And they were they, they believed that they would chase it. I think 240 was very low score and Indian ballers needed to come out hard. And I think that's why they brought out Mohamed Sami earlier than expected. He, he gave, gave God them the wickets as well. India were in the game when uh, th- the third wicket fell, but I think Manus Lavosen de- deserves a huge credit. Uh, I think he's he's been through a rough patch. He, he was uh, not he was not expecting himself to be in the final squad for the in the playing eleven, but uh, he came there. He stood firm, and I think Travis said played his innings. Uh, but uh, Manus Lavosen, I think we should go back to the Afghanistan game where Pat Cummins stayed and let Maxwell play. I think there was a similar role. But uh, Lavusin uh, got some runs. He got a fine half century. And uh, India to 40, I think uh, they, they, they they lost the match uh, in the first innings itself. John, talk to us about uh, Manus Labashain's partner in crime in that uh, final with that wonderful partnership, Travis Head. Uh, not only his innings, which was absolutely superb and match-defining, but also his catch. He caught Rohit Sharma at the back end of the power play when Sharma was going berserk. Uh, and that had a crucial impact in the game as well, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, interesting that um, Head himself uh, remarked that uh, Sharma was very unlucky to be uh, caught up by by himself in that manner. But um, clearly a, um, a major moment. Uh, we've talked about great ODI innings um, in previous podcasts when chasing. And Travis Head's innings certainly is now going to go down in, in ODI history as uh, as one of one of the best. Uh, he joins, um, you know, Maxwell and Aravinda de Silva, certainly the latter in terms of uh, first scoring a century when chasing in a World Cup final. Uh, I think his innings um, is in is in one of the the great brackets at forty seven for three. India were pretty jubilant, and I think it's also a um, a lesson uh, in faith in selection. You know, his place in the squad was kept open. We talked about it in an earlier podcast. Would he come back in? We felt that if he did, then it would strengthen the squad. Uh, and so it's uh, so it's turned out to be, and I think the coach is largely responsible for that because um, from Cummins' statements, he wasn't really convinced that um, that Travis Head could get fit enough in time to make a significant contribution, uh, and that's uh, another call they got right. Yes, Subhash, all hail the Australian think tank of uh, George Bailey, the head selector, and Andrew McDonald, the coach. They were proved right on two very big calls. John's just mentioned persevering with Travis Head there, even when he was injured. And, of course, bringing in Manus Labashain when the, the left-arm spinner, Ashton Agar, was ruled out through injury. So on both those calls, they were absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think uh, coming into India and dropping your uh, spinner and bringing in a middle order batsman, I think that was a huge call. And even with Travis Head, I think... Uh, most of the teams should have dropped him. We saw many teams changing their players throughout the World Cup, but Australia kept faith in him. And I think the first game itself, I think Travis had announced his 
uh, he announced with a uh, century and then he just carried on and i think uh, head his uh, fielding ability his bowling contribution as well that was a huge factor in his inclusion and once he, he was uh, opening the innings in warner i think australia ha had the call right and uh, regarding labushan i think uh, they had a option to change uh, with cameron green coming in they need to uh, bowling reinforcement but i think they never thought that uh, labushan would uh, struggle and even in the finals, I think it was a big call not to keep Stoinis and keep Labushin uh, in the team because uh, we we are we always talking about the fifth bowler and how important it was. But uh, credit to Cummins, McDonald and the Australian selectors. I think uh, they, they, they made two big calls and both of it paid off. I think the World Cup trophy itself, uh, the final itself, uh, defines uh, their inclusion. John, Australia in 2023. Have a listen to this. World Test Champions, Ashes Retained, Cricket World Cup winners, all of those things achieved away from home. That's mighty impressive, isn't it? Well, it's, uh, it certainly is. Uh, and, and it's not just that it's in 2023, it's in five months. So this is a huge mental effort as, as well as a, uh, as a sign of the, their cricketing prowess. Uh, I think well, for them, the question is, where next? Cummins himself has alluded to uh, the fact that the, you know, the squad's aging. He commented uh, that despite that, they were throwing themselves around the field like uh, like teenagers. But I think it's the question uh, then, where, where do they go next? And, you know, who comes in? Um, how do they you know, phase people out and, and um, get, get um, younger players the experience that they, that they need? And um, if there's any evidence that that's possible, then they've shown plenty of ability not to be sentimental. Uh, and to get calls right, and um, we can, um, I'll say, look forward, but uh, we can uh, watch with uh, with great interest how they go about that that change process. Well, that's Australia, but what about India now, Sebash? Uh, they haven't won an ICC event since the Champions Trophy in 2013. They haven't won the ICC Cricket World Cup since 2011, and that despite the fact that they're undoubtedly the best resourced and. Uh, have the biggest playing group of any country in the world. It, it's a lot of navel-gazing and head-scratching from them now, I would imagine. I think and after the journey they had, I think 10 out of 10 getting into the finals as one of the favourites uh, that ever was. And the way they were playing, I think uh, it's a big blow for India and the disappointment will take some time. But uh, the starting uh, T20 series straight away, I think there will be eye on the T20 World Cup starting this June 2024. But uh, before that, they have IPL and uh, the team they just announced against uh, Australia. I think a uh, majority of the players have played in the Asian Games. They won the gold medal in there and a lot of youngsters in that team. But uh, India, I think uh, they, they will have an eye on uh, T20 World Cup. I think the disappointment may be a bit less uh, once uh, they show their... Uh, I think they, they will challenge for the title in that as well. Uh, but uh, I think uh, regarding the other team and India, I think there's a difference in T20 selection because the, the World Cup, uh, just after the IPL and uh, it will have a huge say in team selection. But uh, they're preparing well. I think the team that, that has been announced is a new look team, the team for the future. But uh, 2024 is quite close and there will be a lot of huge calls to make uh, after the IPL for the World Cup. Let's look now at the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup as a whole. 
as in 2019, it was 10 teams, which itself uh, was a matter of some controversy as second tier countries want more access to marquee events like this. It saw 48 matches over 46 days all over India at 10 venues. And Australia were the winners. But uh, looking at the tournament as a whole, first of all, the format, gentlemen, all play all. Did it work? And I wonder, was it helped by the fact that the ICC Champions Trophy qualification jeopardy for the lower place sides meant there were few, if any, any dead rubbers? Does the format work? I think it meant that the best teams got to the semifinals. I think the, the format's too long. I think they ought to have more matches uh, on the same day. I realise that the schedule's you know, run by, by TV companies. There's little interest in matches from uh, from from Indians, as I witnessed in uh, a number of the matches. So I think it could be it could be um, shortened, uh, and and it would be beneficial to to the, the whole tournament. What about the biggest positive from the event? I think it depends who you are, where you come from. If you're Australian. There's a huge positive. Um, if you're Indian, there's a pretty huge negative. Uh, but I think um, looking at it from a, a neutral perspective, that the biggest part is the number of records uh, that were broken. Highest aggregate, highest innings score, this number of sixes that were, were hit, hundreds and chasing, Glenn Maxwell's magnificent effort. So I think those are the things for me that are, that are positive, in both individual and team performances. Uh, and I think the, um, the fact that the Netherlands and obviously Afghanistan came out of the tournament with uh, huge amounts of credit to show that it's not just about the big teams and, and the big players. What about the biggest letdown, Sebastian? The biggest disappointment of the tournament? That might be a bit sad, but I think England, I think uh, coming into the tournament, especially with Ben Stokes, uh, Coming back into the team, they were the biggest disappointment. It was expected they they were in India to defend their title, but uh, it was very sad to see Doss Butler not firing Johnny Burst to having a tournament. Forget uh, bowling performance. I think one of the, this has to be one of the worst bowling attack uh, England has seen. The injuries. Uh, I think England was the biggest letdown in this tournament. The gentlemen, can we call the tournament a success? Sebastian, first of all, what do you think? For me, I think uh, as an associate, once again, uh, this was a good opportunity. And with the talks, uh, will there be 14 teams? Will there be lesser teams? I think the Netherlands tournament, uh, Netherlands result has certainly given us say that uh, there should be more inclusive tournament. And uh, from uh, the eyes of a TV spectator, I think the World Cup was used. Uh, Indian fans, uh, almost, I think that there were a huge number of crowds, uh, not much in the non-India games, but... Uh, uh, as, a, as a TV spectator, I think the tournament was uh, successful. We have got another edition of this tournament for certain, and that's in 2027 in South Africa, Zimbabwe and Namibia. It'll be a 14-team event with South Africa and Zimbabwe guaranteed inclusion and Namibia having to qualify. Eight teams will join the two co-hosts by the ICC rankings, and there'll be four qualifiers on top of that. Uh, are you happy, gentlemen, with the change of format and the team numbers? Sebastian, I suppose uh, everyone in Nepal will be doing cartwheels over this. <laughs> of course, uh, I think uh, we are eyeing in what in the World Cup. I think that has been a dream for most of us. That We're lucky we've qualified for the T20 World Cup that we played already. But uh, ODA World Cup, I think that's the dream. And with uh, extended number of teams uh, and uh, we currently standing around that in the 
ODI ranking, I think Jim's not too far and South Africa, I think Zimbabwe uh, are already qualified and Namibia uh, as a host, I think they should qualify. That's uh, a bit harsh on associate team, but I think they compete like uh, us. I think they're they also trying for the World Cup. Home World Cup is special and Nepal, I think, will try to be there as well. Well, John, uh, 14 teams next time. Now, the one thing I guess that is likely to happen with 14 teams is because some of the weaker teams will get the opportunity to play, there may well be more one-sided games than we saw here. We didn't see all that many close games in this World Cup. So from that perspective, it might necessarily all be rosy in the garden at the inclusion of extra teams. That's true. I mean, I think I think it's right that they get the chance. How else are they going to improve uh, unless they get chances to uh, to play against the um, the bigger teams? But for me, it's not so much about the about whether there are more one-sided matches. It's about the scheduling. Will they get that right? Will we have an overly long tournament? Uh, I don't think there's any reason why we can't play two matches on on the same day, other than broadcasting schedules. And I think the other thing is, well, we talked before about the um, propensity of uh, authorities to to change things. There is already, I think, some murmurings in India about the jeopardy that um, this format might place uh, some of the bigger teams in. Will this format, is it set in stone or will there be some tweaks um, before the event takes place? It will be interesting to see how things uh, pan out. We've got four years until the next tournament. So let's see what uh, the powers that be decide in that regard. Let's talk now about Pakistan and the fallout there from the failure to reach the semi-finals of the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup continues. On our previous podcast, we covered the fact that uh, Babar Azam has been relieved of the captaincy in all three formats, with Shan Massoud replacing him as test captain and Shaheen Sharafridi taking over as 2020 international captain. Since then, Mohamed Hafiz, the former opener and off-spinner, he's been installed as men's team director and will be head coach for the upcoming test tour of Australia and there's Wahab Riaz as well, the recently retired left-arm fast bowler. He's been appointed as men's chief selector. And the announcements have been coming thick and fast from PCB headquarters at the Gaddafi Stadium in Lahore, as Umar Gul has now been named as fast bowling coach and Saeed Ajmal as spin bowling coach. And John Mickey Arthur's been sidelined and, and so has coach Grant Bradburn. And there's been a distinct move back towards Pakistan coaches for Pakistan players, hasn't they? Uh, I think Mickey Arthur's days were numbered with some of the comments he made. I mean, he, he's outspoken at the best of times, but uh, I think um, mentions of uh, divine intervention being necessary for the team to make the semifinals and the comments um, were well-founded, well I think, uh, about the, the match against India being played in front of um, you know, 100,000 or so Indians with, with very few, if any, uh, Pakistani supporters uh, uh, didn't help uh, didn't help his cause. He he certainly needed to get to the semi-final, I think, to stand any chance of uh, of being retained. Sebash, I, I guess there's big news in team selection as well, uh, as far as Pakistan are concerned, and the, that's the absence of Harris Rauf. As Wahab Riaz said, he wanted Rauf for the tour of Australia, but Ralph declined to make himself available. That's what uh, Wahab said anyway. He's only played one test, actually, but in the absence of Nazim Shah, he was seen as an important cog in the pace bowling wheel, and he's got Australian experience 
with the Melbourne Stars in the Big Bash League. How big a blow is it that uh, Harris Rauf is not going to be on this uh, test tour of Australia? I think it's a sad thing for Pakistan cricket uh, that a uh, player that the nation has relied, uh, has uh, believed on, has declined to play. And especially with Nasim Sa out injured, I think Harris Rauf uh, could have made most of the condition that he's used to play in uh, Melbourne. I think he's played for three, four years now. He's like a local there. And having played the World Cup, I think it was not a good World Cup for Pakistan and Harris Rauf himself. And he had, yeah, I think he got an opportunity to prove himself. But I think declining that, uh, he might have a. Uh, uh, I think this this might be a blow for his Pakistan cricket future overall, uh, not just for the tests. And Wabri has he himself emphasized on the importance of Harris Rauf and not giving him much load because he's not used to the test conditions. He said uh, openly that uh, we're using Rauf as impact player, maybe twenty overs per day, and that that that's the least one fast bowler ca- should be doing for his country. I think. Uh, it's 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 a disgrace that our, our player is not uh, uh, is declining a chance to represent his country. Yes, and it's worth pointing out as well that uh, I think that series comes under the purview of the the World Chess Championship qualification for uh, the next cycle there, and of course Australia are the holders of that World Test Championship. So I'm sure they'll be going uh, all guns blazing to uh, give themselves the best chance of retaining that particular crown. Let's talk about Sri Lanka now. And uh, the ICC board has decided to shift the under-19 Cricket World Cup from Sri Lanka to South Africa early next year. The move is the latest development in the ICC suspension of Sri Lanka following allegations of political interference in the governance of the game in that country. The suspension doesn't, however mean that Sri Lanka's teams will be stopped from playing at international level, while funding from the central ICC pot would be controlled until the suspension is lifted. John, in terms of prestige, the removal of the Under-19 Cricket World Cup is certainly a blow to Sri Lanka, as it will be to uh, the many hotels in Colombo who had banked on occupancy from the 16 teams and officials. But as Sri Lanka is allowed to keep playing... Have, have they got away with things? Uh, I wonder to an extent. Yes, I think uh, I think they have. I think, as we mentioned last week, there's clearly a lot of um, a lot of to and froing going on within Sri Lanka between the, uh, the minister and, and the and the board, uh, also between uh, Sri Lankan cricket board and and the ICC. So this is a seems to me to be a, a pretty sensible. A compromise gives Sri Lanka time to to new internal arrangements. Uh, and it doesn't um, doesn't stop them playing bilateral cricket. It's a minor minor blow, but um, uh, I think it could have been a whole lot more serious. Sebash, as you're from Nepal, which is a team set to play in the Under-19 Cricket World Cup, what's the reaction been back home to the news the team will now be off to South Africa instead? Is it is it relief that the tournament's actually going to happen, or, or disappointment as conditions? Are likely to suit Nepal a little less, you would say, in South Africa. Huge disappointment here, Brian. I think uh, even us as a journalist, uh, a lot of us were planning to go to the Sri Lanka for the World Cup. The fans, I think, uh, in the Asia Cup, we saw we outnumbered India uh, and Pakistan. Even in Pakistan, we had a few number of fans uh, going there to watch the match. And uh, once it shifted to South Africa, I think it's been a disappointment. And e- even within the team, I think the conditions 
the team that we have uh, used uh, spin heavy team i think uh, now we'll we'll need to find our one or two more fast bowlers which is hard to find here in nepal so it's a huge disappointment that the tournament is not being held in sri lanka even from the financial side of things for the fans i think uh, sri lanka would have been an ideal destination just to watch the cricket it was financially feasible for a general fan but out in south africa is a tough call it will be hard for anyone to go there uh, even for, for in the results aspect i think uh, we, we would be we'd had we, we think we'd had a chance in sri lanka but south africa i think uh, we we're going to struggle there one other news line for you from Sri Lanka is that the women's captain, Chamari Atapatu, who's currently playing for Sydney Thunder in the women's big bash, will then head to New Zealand. She's been signed to play in that country's women's 2020 competition, and that's for the Northern Brave team. Let's talk now about clocks, because the ICC board meeting in Ahmedabad, which followed the Men's Cricket World Cup final, has announced the introduction on a trial basis of a clock to ensure play proceeds at a decent rate. It'll be trialled in white ball cricket from December 2023 to April 2024, starting with England's series in the West Indies in December. The bowling side will have to be ready to start a new over 60 seconds after the end of the previous over. And a third failure to do that will result in a five-run penalty. Subash, what do you think of that? I think it's a good move for the pace of the game. I think uh, it will help the game to speed up. Uh, ODI cricket, I think it's been criticised for being long and the delays in between the overs, uh, it has been uh, hampering the watching eyes. But uh, the, the rules, I think it's good. looks good on paper, but uh, like the timed-out rule in the World Cup, uh, once it's implemented, there will be yes or no, there will be issues in between the teams itself but uh, it's a good rule to be implemented i think the teams uh, this uh, rule is better not uh, implemented because uh, they, they should be keeping up with the pace of the game but uh, there will be few controversies i think once it's implemented and the team they, they'll surely pour out the dis- dissatisfaction once it's uh, implemented against them john what do you think uh, would you like to see it even in test matches too because i get the impression that test matches uh, have a real problem in this regard as well Yes, it's long overdue. I think that um, speeding the game up, uh, certainly from the spectator's point of view, in terms of getting value for money, is very important. And uh, I would like to see it extended. I think it's it's time that uh, sides were were actually um, forced into um, into taking into taking action. I think they've had it a bit too easy for um, for too long. They're going to disagree because they they feel that, that even though they might not bowl 13 or 14 overs an hour, that if the spectators have been provided with entertainment, then and, um, they should think themselves lucky. I think from a spectator's point of view, that's the wrong approach. Let's get the game um, speeded up. Let's find a way of, of stopping people coming on with a towel for somebody who's got a bit of a sweat on or you know, change of gloves or, or um, any one of a number of reasons they, they seem to find to uh, slow play up. Well, the Men's Cricket World Cup may be over, but the action is absolutely unrelenting. India are hosting Australia in five men's 2020 internationals starting on Thursday, the 23rd of November. Dressed up as all part of both sides' preparations for the ICC 2020 World Cup in the USA and the Caribbean next year. I say dressed up. 
as many of the players from both teams who may well be part of that tournament are not playing in this series due to workload management. India have only three players in their squad who were in the Cricket World Cup squad with Surikumar Yadav captaining the side. Ishan Kishan will keep wicket and Shreyas Ayap, he'll step in for the last two matches of the series. Australia, well, they actually have seven players from their World Cup winning squad. That's Travis Head, Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, Josh Inglis, Sean Abbott and Adam Zampa, plus Tanvir Sanger, who was a travelling reserve during the tournament. David Warner was due to be in the squad, but he's heading home, replaced by Aaron Hardy. Matthew Wade is captaining the side. Bear in mind, for the likes of Head and Smith, it'll be a very short turnaround for them, as the final match of the series ends on December the 3rd, and the first test against Pakistan gets underway in Perth just 11 days later. Sebastian, is there any value for the teams in this series given how under strength they both are? Uh, I think uh, India, I think uh, their new look team, like I said, the, the squad consists of a lot of players that played in the Asian games and uh, they have showed the worth in the IPL as well. So in India, I think uh, they'll be, be uh, expecting for new talents to fire up. I think Australia, they have got their main squad. They're trying to get it sorted for the T20 World Cup and the series will have a revenge in mind for Indian spectators, especially after this World Cup result. But uh, both are on the strength, but T20, I think uh, both teams have great T20 players and there will be entertainment. But result-wise, I think uh, not a lot of uh, fans will have their eyes on this tournament like they, like it did in uh, the usual times. John, can anyone in these squads nail down a spot in the, the T20 World Cup, do you think? Steve Smith's going to open. He wants to open. Uh, I think he presumably sees this as, as his way of securing a, a slot in, in that team. So his chance with Warner going back, it'll be interesting to see how that one that one works out. You know, Steve Smith just plays cricket, so I don't think there's any uh, any fear about burnout with him. On the day we're recording this podcast, that's uh, Wednesday, the 22nd of November, seven teams start their journey to what they hope will be the Caribbean and the USA next year. It's the Men's 2020 World Cup Africa qualifier. There's Kenya, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda and Zimbabwe. They've assembled in Windhoek, Namibia for the tournament that will determine which of them will head there with two spots up for grabs. Zimbabwe under new full-time 2020 international captain Sikander Raza. They're hot favourites for one place. They've got a very experienced squad indeed that includes Craig Irvine, Sean Williams, Tender Chitara, uh, Richard Engarava, Ryan Burl, Wellington Masakadza, and also blessing Musrabani, the tall quick bowler who's fit again after recovering from a fractured hand. I just wonder, Sebastian, let's assume that Zimbabwe are going to qualify. Is it simply a battle in this tournament to see who can join them? I think Namibia, they should be included in that list as well. The other teams, they've been playing it between themselves for quite a time. And African cricket has risen in past few years. I think teams like Nigeria, Tanzania, they've been doing great, not just in men's cricket, but women's too. Uh, but I think Namibia and Zimbabwe, they've been around the world playing ODI cricket. They've played a f- quite a few number of series. Their players have been dropped in T20 franchise leagues as well. So uh, Zimbabwe, obviously, they're the favourite ones. But uh, when you talk about Zimbabwe, in that reason, I think Namibia deserves a name that uh, they're the favourites to qualify for this as well. 
Well, we pride ourselves here on this podcast in trying to feature not only the global stories, but also the local ones too. And the Saudi Arabia National Cricket Championship is a case in point. It wrapped up on Friday, the 17th of November in Riyadh. It was the second edition of the event. John, you were in attendance and uh, perhaps you can give us your impressions. What happened and what did you make of it? The match was uh, was played at a, a location about 90 kilometres outside of, of Riyadh on the road to Mecca. It's, uh, it's a venue that um, hosts um, some of the major golf tournaments. Um, it has a, a wildlife, a safari park, a hotel. And for the day, it hosted a, um, a cricket match. Uh, when I got there, it, it could have been a scene from, uh, from rural England. The outfield was pretty lush and green, helped by some overnight uh, light rain. The, um, the two teams, they, um, they consisted uh, pretty well uh, of, uh, I think, almost entirely Pakistani uh, expats. It was a 20-over match, the Saudi Arabian Cricket Federation and the um, uh, Sports for All uh, administrators and the, the, the president uh, of the uh, Cricket Federation uh, were there in, um, in full force. The match was pretty exciting. Uh, it went down to uh, the last uh, last couple of balls, ending in a, a five-run victory uh, and a very impressive um, lap of honour by the winning team, I have to say. It was played on uh, matting, concrete base, and the matting on top. Uh, and that's one of the uh, one of the issues in Saudi Arabia is is getting the facilities in place so that they can compete internationally. And uh, there is, I think, only one turf wicket there so far. So that's that's uh, something that needs addressing pretty urgently. Uh, and uh, they're going to do, I think, um, a couple of other finals uh, on the west coast and I think on 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 the east. Uh, it's a long haul. The technology, I have to say, in the ground was uh, was excellent. The match was uh, was recorded. It was filmed. Um, I searched in vain for about uh, five minutes looking for a scoreboard and realised I was actually standing behind it. Uh, it was about five metres high and three metres wide uh, with all the information you require. Uh, it was also um, live streaming the match. So it was a, a surrealistic experience standing watching the match in real time and then, and then out of my other eye, I could see it being relayed on, on, a, on a big screen. So uh, an interesting day. Uh, the presentations uh, were um, extensive. There was a prince who led the Saudi Arabian and Olympic delegation. There was a well-known lady in uh, media broadcasting who uh, was the compare for the evening. There were numerous awards. Uh, and so it shows that there is a, a desire to, um, to develop the game and, and, and to, to get it promoted. Uh, I think it's going to be going to be a long haul. Well, John, Saudi Arabia Cricket Federation Vice Chairman Nawaf Al-Otaibi uh, said the ambition is to create world-class infrastructure to make the, cricket, make the country a cricketing destination in its own right. How realistic is, is this, do you think? Uh, is it part of the Saudi vision 2030 that we've heard so much about? Yes, it is part of that. It's very ambitious, and um, I think they've, they've uh, as I said, a lot, quite a, a long way to go to make the country a cricketing destination um, in its own right. They've done it, obviously had a major impact in other sports. Cricket's more difficult. It needs infrastructure, and to develop you know, homegrown talent uh, is a generational thing. And, and I think that what they, what they have to find as a way to, to get people involved uh, at, the, at the grassroots, that the numbers of 
players registered, the number of teams registered is growing. But I think it's going to be a slow burn. Well, that's all for this episode of The Wicked. It's been a bumper episode as well with so much to discuss, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with more cricket chat from the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on what you've heard wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now, though, this is Brian Murgatroyd along with John Pike and Sebastian Hamagain saying thanks so much for listening and we look forward to your company again next time. <laughs>